The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Available currently in all good bookshops. Cop Undercover by Johan von Lockenberg. Johan, welcome to the show. Shalom, Chad, and all your listeners. Johan, I think this is an incredible book. Um, after reading your three previous books, which were very fact-orientated in respect of what we saw in South Africa in respect of the demise of good, long-standing units in the fight against crime, what we saw in respect of the tobacco industry, and what we saw in respect of the way um, investigations should have been conducted. This is a far more personal book. Why the change? Three books that are that are so centered towards organized crime, and now a book that, although it's a very similar topic, is a hell of a lot more personal. Well, uh, I think there's some stories to share, for starters. Um, but it really has its roots in part of the, the propaganda that was used to uh, capture the revenue service um, uh, that started in, in late 2014 was an element um, that uh, falsely suggested that I had been an apartheid spy. And that's, you know, that brand is the sort of brand that sticks forever. And... Uh, so over time, uh, you know, I, I had allowed people to say they say about that, um, and and you know, the time had come for me to to tell the true story of so-called RS five three six, and the opportunity was presented to me by my publishers, and there you have the book. So Jacob Lamini, who's a historian and and authored the book The Terrorist Album, says of your book, it's powerful. And it shows what spying for the public good might look like. So he's basically saying that you were, in fact, a spy. You saying, yes, in terms of the RS program, you were spying. And it's spying for the better good. So let's talk about spying in South Africa as a whole and the RS program. What's that about? And how would you explain that to a layman? Well, I don't think I'm necessarily qualified to talk about spying in general. But um, the essence is really that uh, for the for the period um, after which the, the nationalist uh, apartheid regime handed over power to the transitional executive um, council in, uh, in late 1993 to prepare for the uh, uh, first democratic elections. Up until the end of uh, 1998, I was a member of the police service and I was undeclared. In other words, I wasn't known to be a member of the police service. And at that time, the, the system that they used to, uh, to, um, administer and, 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 and manage um, those of us that functioned in that manner was the RS uh, program, uh, which was like many, like the parcel system, I suppose, and, and many other administrative systems was inherited from uh, the, the previous regime. And it was then used uh, differently because you will remember that the security branch, which uh, exclusively had access to, to that system, shut down in, in, in 1992. And uh, I actually worked for a completely different division in the police, uh, which was then known as the, the Criminal Investigations Division, the old CID, which the detectives resorted under. And they were given access to the, uh, this, this program, 
and they then employed uh, a handful of us. There were five, in fact, of us only. That then served the democratic government as um, uh, organized crime uh, agents, deep cover agents. And so in that sense, if you want to liken those agents uh, to a spy, I suppose, then I'll take that. I think when one looks at what you encountered um, working as an undercover operative and the tradecraft that had to be used to maintain this deep cover, one would think, okay, fine, this is the world of espionage. But it isn't what one imagines the world of espionage to be all about. When one reads your story, how you came along, you had to establish your legend, the way you had to um, somehow become part of a group as an outsider. It, it makes one realize just what a lonely life an undercover agent who is instructed on a specific matter or tossed, as you would use the term, what a lonely life they actually have. How did you overcome that loneliness in the beginning? I don't really know. I mean, I, I speculate about elements of that in the book, um, and I, I don't want to give too much of that away. You have to read the book to to um, to to learn my story. But I would say, Chad, to an extent, um, youth counted in my favor. You know, when you're in your 20s, you know, the world's pretty much your oyster and you, you, you're fairly fearless. Um, it's certainly not something I would tackle now uh, at this, you know, late stage of my life. Um but I, I guess that, um, so it's, it, it, it would be youthful energy. But also there was a very strong belief um, in me at the time, uh, which, which to an extent still exists, that um, as individuals we can make a, a big difference in society, um, even through small actions. And so by and large I was motivated by this um, Euphoria that existed at the time with the winds of political change in our country, that I was part of something extraordinary, um, something experimental, something that required sacrifice and um, effort, and that, uh, you know, had it uh, been seen through to its logical conclusion, would make a big difference to society. And so those were the sort of key uh, I'd say motivational drivers within me that probably made me um, accept the sacrifices and the isolation stress and things that came with that. We're chatting to Jonathan Lockenberg about his new book, Cop Undercover. When we come back, I want to chat to you more about how the, the, the use of the word spy has been used for political means in this country and how it may have even ruined people's lives. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to Johan von Lochenberg, author of Cop Undercover. And you can get a copy of this book if you send an SMS to 34519, naming one of Johan's previous three titles. This is Johan's fourth book and a must-read. Johan, in this book you refer to your agent number, RS536. And we've seen in the past, and I think this was a huge concern to you, is that people were perhaps um, misconstruing. In fact, they were misconstruing what it was 
you were doing during your time as an undercover agent. But this is not unusual in South Africa. We saw allegations of of our one-time head of prosecution, Bulani Nuka, having a supposedly being a spy and then allocating a number. These that spread that information allocated a number. And at, at, at some stage later, another lady came out and said, actually, no, that was a number allocated to me. And many times when we see these political wars, people are suddenly, in inverted commas, outed as being spies for the apartheid regime. Why do you think people are doing this, and why do you think it hasn't been nipped in the bud? I think, in, uh, by and large, I mean, let's just let's just first um, analyze the term spying um, or spy. I think, uh, you know, this is something that most of us do uh, at one point or another on any given day or week. Um, you know, whether it's... Uh, you know, the neighbors looking over the wall to see what's, what's the noise on the other side or, um, something more, uh, nefarious, uh, you know, um, uh, to, to where this, uh, methodology is used by different state departments, whether it's, uh, I suppose, um, you know, investigators accessing somebody's bank account through lawful means or, uh, intercept, intercepting, uh, communications and so on in order to collect evidence or intelligence of crimes or whatever the case might be. And one methodology within that uh, craft, if I can call it that, or typology, would be <clears throat> the use of human beings that you would um, use in a, in a manner that's uh, not openly declared or made known, because if you do, it would, it would uh, you know, it would it would not enable you to achieve what you set out to do. And so I think from a state angle, uh, if I look at how state departments use this, it would typically be what, what we, you know, when we come across uh, people that, that are often called informants. Informants would be those people that provide information of one kind or another to the state uh, for whatever reason. Uh, whistleblowers would be another category. Um, you yourself, uh, we now know, was one. Um, I think you prefer the term asset. Then you get people who are permanently employed. They're typically called agents. Um, and, and, you know, you get a whole range of descriptions of these things. But the fact of the matter is that all of them operate in a manner that is not openly disclosed. And as a consequence of that, because this isn't openly disclosed and, you know, in the manner in which somebody who works, let's say, in the post office um, is, is, is fairly known and open, um, it's quite easy to uh, allow the imagination to, to run away with oneself and to fill in the gaps of the unknowns. And so the minute somebody um, had something to do with some kind of work of a kind that that person is not necessarily able to publicly disclose or or openly um, deal with then you know uh, it's 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 one of those tools that the bad guys use to to um, to try and make you look uh, dishonest or untrustworthy or um, playing double you know, both sides or whatever the case might be. And it's, I think it's by and large also helped along by fiction, you know, and movies and, and, and books and, and that sort of thing. 
and also case studies of bona fide spies who, who did some terrible things in the past, particularly in the South African context, like apartheid spies and the Askaris and the, and the Impimpis. So, you know, because of that, I guess it's, it's one of those labels that if you really want to um, discredit a person, the way to do it is to just brand him with that label. Because from that point on, it's very difficult to claw back, um, especially if there are legal limitations in terms of um, what you can say and what you can't say. Well, I think given the opportunity, people should read this book to understand um, the good that comes out of undercover operations, whether it's traditional spying or not, and understand that in the South African context, especially over the last 26-odd years, the term spy has been weaponized to try and neutralize political opponents, and this in itself is exceptionally disappointing. And while watching you, Han, during his book launch the other day and reading his book about one of the gentlemen that he became very close friends with, he was still a, a uniform member of the South African police during his national service, he showed his great love of jazz, in particular smooth jazz or fusion jazz. When I asked him if he'd like to listen to something during the show, he said, Jonathan Butler. So I think now is as better time as any. See, they'll be reaching the halfway mark to play something by Jonathan Butler. When we come back, we're going to be chatting more to um, Johan about the book, Cop Undercover. I'd like to remind you, you yourselves can get a copy um, if you SMS us on 34519, naming one of Johan's other three titles. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I'm in conversation with Johan van Lochenberg, a chat I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Um, he's written a book, Cop Undercover, which is a very intimate story, in my opinion, of his experiences as an undercover agent. And, Johan, that leads me to two questions. The first question would be, was it therapeutic writing something so personal? And secondly, did you, while writing this and, and going through those experiences, have any level of anxiety because being undercover for so long and dealing with the nefarious characters that were around you, there must have been a fear of being caught out. Sure. Um, <clears throat> on your first question, whether it was therapeutic, um, I think, you know, time time will have to tell. Um, I did not experience it as therapeutic at all. In fact, I, <laughs> um, you know, I sat down and I began writing uh, in, in, in raw format, and it was quite a long manuscript. Um, it was over 600,000 words, which is unusually long, if you consider the book as just over 90,000 words. Um, but I pretty much just, you know, uh, I thought, let me put everything out there, and then we could whittle away from there. Um, and that caused me to have to go through uh, those years, records, diaries, videos, audio, um, speak to some of the colleagues of the time. Uh, and in that sense, it was actually, um, I'm, I'm not sure what the emotion or, or set of emotions would be, but they were, they were complex because I had to relive those, you know, those periods um, in life. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too certain if therapeutic is necessarily the, the accurate term. Um, in terms of anxiety, look, 
I mean, I've been living with anxiety almost my entire adult life. Certainly at the time when, when I operated undercover, there, there was, uh, there was persistent anxiety. Um, later when I came out of the field, I actually developed an anxiety disorder, um, which, you know, had already begun to manifest, uh, during my period of, uh, being an undercover cop. Uh, and it, it, it always stayed with me, although I, you know, I sought treatment and, 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 and it was good treatment and I uh, ultimately managed to get it under control until, you know, the state capture gang and all the bad guys and spooks started in 2014. And with the very uh, sort of salacious and um, uh, targeted manner in which they sought to humiliate me in the public domain, by splashing my face all over the paper for so long, it did, it did bring, um, uh, you know, uh, another type of anxiety about, um, particularly when some of them, you know, put out my home address and my ID number and, and personal details about myself um, for all and sundry to access. And the fact that neither the police service, uh, crime intelligence division, nor the state security agency nor the revenue service, who were all legally and morally and ethically obliged to protect me in that respect, failed to do so. In fact, it suited everybody at that time. So there was anxiety, and it, it, yeah, it was a it was a torrid time. Um, absolutely, yeah. Tell me, by writing this book, and together with the other three books that you've written, do you believe that you've now taken control of your story? And that you're now able to say, look, this is what happened. Understand that it is my time to give my version of events. And do you, do you welcome people to now compare the narratives that they've heard? And what would you say to them in respect of you now being forced into telling your whole story? Because for me, I thought it was more of a therapeutic process. You're now saying it actually wasn't. It was a story that needed to be told. So, so what is your message to those that are going to read your book? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a difficult one. I, I'm hoping that, you know, different people get, uh, get from it, um, you know, uh, what they want. Um, I'll put it this way, Chad. Uh, I don't think one should look at my books as, uh, an attempt by myself to, to uh, sort of vindicate myself or to put my version out there. I've, I remain restricted and limited to put my side of the story out there. Um, I have yet to do so. And uh, by no means are my books uh, what I can put out there. Um, I'm, I, I'm still looking for the correct platform to, to put my side um, out there, and, and it's certainly not going to be a book. Um, it would be, it will be under oath, um, and it will be, uh, you know, in some sort of legal process. And I will afford other people who have made, uh, statements and allegations and things about me the opportunity to repeat that. And, you know, we'll, 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 we'll use the normal legal processes to test each other's versions and evidence and so on. Um, I mean, the, the, the first book that came out, um, Rogue, the inside story of Sars' elite crime-busting unit, was really just a uh, 
you know, the result of a promise that I made to that handful of people who had been so terribly branded and traumatized and and harmed um, by by all those uh, propagandistic stories and, and nonsense. Um, I, I promised them something. I said, you know, your story will be told, and if it's the last thing I do, I will do that for you. And to the extent that I was legally capable of doing so, I, I did uh, by way of that book. And the, the book that then followed, Death and Taxes, was a natural outflow of of the first book. Um, Cop Undercover, I guess, would be almost a prequel then in that sense. Um, and it's by pure chance, you know, uh, Jonathan Bull and NB Publishers, both publishing houses, um, approached me at a particular point in time. They believed my story. They believed that it's stories that ought to be told and, and, and put on record. Um, they understood the legal limitations that I faced. And, uh, you know, with the help of lawyers, we we navigated around those. And it, this was... This was more an attempt to to speak out for the voiceless, people who've never been uh, um, known. Um, you know, that unit comprised of over 20 people. Uh, they have husbands and wives and children and parents and friends and family. Uh, I don't think anybody knows their names even to this day, despite all of them being branded in such a fashion. As, as being rogue, and they've just never had an opportunity to say what exact, exactly that unit did or other units that I worked with. Um, so in that sense, I, you know, I, I'd say you know, those people that are interested in that part of the revenue service and, and, and how the revenue service was captured, some of the earlier books address that. But I'm hoping that there are also some lessons in there and some positive stories and some examples of how one can do things if you really set your mind to it. And um, maybe there are some examples or formulas there that can be repeated in future um, because we mustn't give up. You know, we must we only have each other in this country and we only have one future and we're going to sink or swim. And, you know, in that sense, I'm hoping that these books contribute towards something positive, too. Very true. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be chatting more to Johan about the future writing and perhaps more about the legal processes he wants to follow. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting to Johan from Lochenberg today. Um, about his book, Cop Undercover, and one lucky listener will be getting a copy if they tweet us at Chi FM or if they SMS us at 34519, the name of one of your Hans' previous books. And he very kindly gave a clue. In fact, he named one of his books in our, in our previous uh, inserts. So it would be great if you let us know one of those other books, and you may find yourself the proud owner of Cop Undercover, which is currently available at all good bookstores. Johan, you mentioned something very interesting because I was imagining with all these these books that have been so informative and so revealing that perhaps we would be in line to read another book. But you've said, no, you want to see another process take place under oath. Tell us more about what you, you want to achieve, for who you want to achieve this, 
and, and what processes you think will bring about some or other healing in what's been a very ugly, dirty um, part of our country's history. Look, I, I mean, ever since the started in 2014, I've been going on oath. So in the case of the so-called Sikakane panel uh, process, I was the single uh, person that went under oath there. Unfortunately, uh, you know, they just never reflected on what I put to them on oath uh, together with substantiation and evidence. Um, I don't know why that is the case, but at least that that affidavit stands and it's in the records and, you know, hopefully it will at, at the right point in, in, in the near future surface again. Um, Following that, there had been uh, litigation between myself and the primary protagonist, uh, a, a, a rogue SSI, SSA agent that started the mess at, at the Revenue Service in 2014. Uh, in that case, I sought an interdict, and um, on the morning of the, the matter to be heard before court, uh, the person sought settlement with me and you know, uh, I, I accepted that, and, and you know, because you can't litigate somebody who doesn't want to litigate. Um, so again, I went on oath there, and that affidavit stands. In 2015, early, I went before the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Again, um, on the other side, they sought settlement with me, which you know, again, the same principle applied. Um, Later in, in, in 2015, um, the same rogue SSA agent filed a supporting affidavit together with a taxpayer that had been in dispute with the Revenue Service. I was the second respondent or the third respondent to that matter. Um, again, that matter was ventilated before court. My affidavit stands um, and the court ruled in, in, in our favor. Uh, and, and dismissed the, uh, the, the allegations by the other person. Um, uh, later in, in 2015, there was the matter before the press ombud um, and the press council. Again, it was ruled in our favour. Um, in 20, uh, I think 2015, this uh, rogue agent brought an action against the revenue service and myself which in 2017 was withdrawn um, and, and our costs were tendered. So, again, you can't force that litigation. Um, sub in that same period, I went on oath to the uh, anti-corruption um, department of the Hawks, although the head at the time said to me that he was concerned to investigate the matter because it, it may bring um, some um, difficulties for them. I'd gone on oath in six court applications um, uh, between 2018 and 19 uh, against the prosecuting authority and the Hawks, of which uh, four I won uh, by default because on the day in court the, uh, the other side um, conceded, uh, and two matters were set um, were taken off the roll by agreement at their request. Uh, one of which has been um, removed temporarily um, until I decide to put it back on the roll. Uh, I've also been litigating since 2015 with KPMG 
and that's still continuing to this day. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, I've also, you know, I took uh, uh, retired Judge Cruen to the Judicial Service Commission. That resulted in another settlement. Um, so it's not as if I, you know, I have not been putting the facts on the table. I've also submitted two affidavits in the public protector uh, review matter that's currently before our courts. I went to the public protector in 2016. Um, I also provided evidence and, and, and documents on, on record at the time, although that seemed to have disappeared. Uh, way back in 2014, I also uh, did an in-depth presentation to the Inspector General of Intelligence uh, on 38 matters, and I provided them with um, lots of uh, evidence and facts. That they went and lost somehow, um, but the, the, that office has since taken up those complaints again, and they're busy with those as we speak. Um, and I've also been cooperating with various uh, uh, parts of uh, the authorities where I've gone on oath and um, also provided evidence and assistance in respect of investigations into what exactly happened, who are the people that were deliberately um, involved in it, and also some people who were perhaps duped into advancing those things and misled. Um, and in some cases, those people have publicly apologized, and those apologies I've accepted on condition that they were directed to the Revenue Service and officials there and their families, past and present, um, you know, again, because they didn't have a voice, and there've been there've been a number of those sorts of apologies that have been made public over the years. So, all in all, um, there is a library of facts and evidence that I've put up um, and built up over the years, the last six years. Um, it's a matter, really, for me now of uh, putting all of that together, and. Um, you know, I think the authorities must do with that what they must, you know, what we pay them to do and what they must do from a statutory point of view. We, we are, they are expected to, to act against people who, who have, uh, um, you know, conducted criminal activities. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of, uh, people that are implicated in state capture. Um, and I don't make allegations behind closed doors and so on. I go on oath and I, put the evidence down. And so I have absolutely no problem in inviting people to come and cross-examine me on oath um, in the public domain. That's my condition. And I have uh, a further condition that I want them to be under oath so that I can cross-examine them for it for once. Because that's always been the game. Uh, I mean, all these so-called reports um, that people have been relying on, and the one falling after the other, have all really been processes where they've occurred behind closed doors. Uh, nobody knows what happened there. Uh, complete ignorance of uh, the right to Audi or even uh, engaging people that they were scrutinizing. Um, and they were, you know, they were circular logical fallacies. They, they all relied on the very same people. So it's not as if they were new processes, they, the one relied on the next one, relied on the next one, or the same people coming there with the same bogus story. Um, 
and in no instance were those things put to, for instance, me or other people that they falsely implicated to answer to, because, you know, of course, had they done that, we would have been able to shoot it down. I mean, a very good example is what I put in the book, Cop Undercover. If you compare the verbatim explanation of my history in the police that I gave to the so-called Sikakane panel in September 2014, and you compare that with um, what's in, the, in that report, it's a complete distortion of facts. In fact, it's, it's so shockingly bad that, uh, you know, and it, and it concludes with the line that says nothing turns on this, but it, it's still, for some reason, somebody thought it necessary to at least imply that I had been this apartheid spy, which is complete nonsense. I did not say that, and you know, there's no evidence to that effect. It's nonsense. So, um, no, I think watch the space, Chad. Um, I know in one matter you've agreed to assist me, um, and we've made arrangements, uh, and I hope that, you know, that contributes to the process, and thank you for that. Um, but uh, I think everybody's had their opportunity to, to now say what they want to say. It's unlikely that there's anything left that anybody's missed or forgotten. And uh, I think now it's now it's my time to uh, to put the facts up, and then we must test these things against each other, and you know, let the facts speak. Johan, in closing, it's been a it's been an uphill slog, but there's been a lot of good that's come out of the, the last five six years for you. You've settled down, you have a lovely daughter. I don't know where you find the time, to be honest, to be able to do as much as you're doing in respect of writing books, having all these legal processes in place, and still being a breadwinner. Because um, I, unlike a lot of people out there, know that you've worked on a number of high-profile matters during these five, six years on a consultancy or freelance basis. So just let our listeners know in closing, how is it that you're able to manage your time so effectively? You sleep very little, Chad. <laughs> that, that's really, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a case of, um, you know, you, you have to, you have to teach yourself to read, um, with the intent to understand, um, and, and acquire that, um, that skill and, and hone it because you, you need to be able to read high volumes and, and work with detail. Um, my history, of course, uh, as an investigator and manager of investigations uh, has helped. Um, it also calls for sacrifice from the family side. You know, um, I have an understanding wife and she picks up where, where I'm busy. Um, and, you know, these things are, are not always often considered in, in this sort of context, but, um, you know, we're a team. My wife and I are a team, and 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 she's been my pillar of strength, and she uh, allows me to do these sorts of things. I also do a lot of pro bono work, and uh, I also um, am the convener of a, a trauma support group of 45 people who suffered um, at the South African Revenue Service, and then I'm also involved in a number of um, initiatives by civil society groupings. And it, you know, in that sense, it just means less sleep. It, a lot of the work I do, I do through the night. And, um, 
Well, Johan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, your book, Cop Undercover, um, in my opinion, should be a feature film. It, it's got everything <laughs> that a thriller should have. It's, it makes for fascinating reading, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity.